The passage this morning is Acts 11, verse 19 through 30. If you have a Bible house, a house Bible, page number is 536. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and the large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barabbas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and and began to encourage them all with resolute hearts to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord, and as he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and he went And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the, to the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending in charge of Barabbas and Saul to the, to the elders. This is God's word. You may be seated. Welcome uh, to our, our series. We're, we're, we're in part two of our series in the book of Acts. And so if you missed some of this series, I encourage you to go online, crosspointdowntown.com, and you can catch up to where we're at uh, this week. It's a really marvelous series because we get to see how God establishes, how God sustains, and how God blesses his church. Do you hear that? How God establishes, how God sustains... And how God blesses his church. And if you read the book of Acts, you read about this character, this person that is really remarkable. This person that is doing some incredible things by his power. And that's the person of the Holy Spirit. If there is no other book of the Bible that mentions the Holy Spirit as much as the book of Acts. And chances are, if you read, as you open the book of Acts and you read the title of it, then... um, you don't have slides. I forgot to give you my slides. Do you love the messages that you can have? I, I'm so distracted. So uh, I'm a, you know, if there's a bird flying over there, um, then I'm like, oh, there's a bird. There was a bird actually in the other gym. That's why we moved over here. No, I don't, you know, it's fine. We'll just do without them. So um, uh, Super Bowl Sunday today. And uh, today is the Patriots' ninth appearance under Belichick and Brady. Ninth appearance under Belichick and Brady. In the last, since year 2000, when Brady entered the league, he is now going into his ninth Super Bowl. And so all the talk that comes around this type of, this time of year is who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the one that is 
known throughout history as the best quarterback to ever play the game, and it's a hard argument against Tom Brady. Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe you think somebody else is the GOAT, but Tom Brady, man, he's got the numbers. And it pains me to say this as a Dolphins fan. It pains me to say this. Dan Marino, notwithstanding, all right, Tom Brady is the GOAT. But this year, Robbie Coleman, going into the last, into Super Bowl Sunday, last week gave an interview. He's the corner for the Los Angeles Rams. He says, I'm not scared of Tom Brady. And one of the uh, uh, Washington Post, actually this is from the Wall, Wall Street Journal, the article says this, there's some reason for this. Brady's, Brady's passing, passer rating was his lowest in four years. He threw double-digit interceptions for the first time since 2013. His yards per attempt fell for the second straight year. But it doesn't take a long trip down memory lane to see Brady is as dangerous as ever. Trailing in the AFC Championship, Brady marched the offense downfield for a touchdown with 39 seconds left. In overtime, the Patriots got the ball first. Brady led New England downfield for the game-winning touchdown. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes never got a chance to touch the ball. And that meant Brady had just outdueled the best quarterback in the NFL this season for a trip to his ninth Super Bowl. So when you look at quarterback play and you look at the NFL and, and uh, you know, I can't speak very authoritatively in this, but one of the things that I've watched in my time watching the NFL and Tom Brady is He's not been an outrageously incredible quarterback year after year after year. He's just been consistent. He's just a guy that gets the job done. Even this year, it's not been an incredibly amazing year for Tom Brady. But at 41, the guy is consistent. And when he gets the ball, the, the way the game goes is the way Brady wants it to go. He's able to do something with it. And when we think about where we're at in the book of Acts, and the reason why I bring this up is you have a church in Antioch. It's the first church where the Gentiles are evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have a church which is in modern day Syria coming to know Christ for the first time. And then this church is established. The thing that is significant about this, looking 2,000 years back, is You see in this church a consistency, a faithfulness of God's work from that church there in Antioch throughout all time, how God used those people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and had their opportunity with the ball, so to speak, to share the name of Jesus Christ, advance the name of Jesus Christ. And those are names that we will never know and never hear about but names that we are here because of today. Someone there took the gospel to the Gentiles, and therefore the Gentile church advanced today into the United States of America, and we are a part of God's work in that church because of the faithful work of the Spirit in these men and women. So when we read about the church in Antioch, I think about the church in our city today. In our city, the church... The church is needing a faithfulness. It's the city of Orlando that 
needs a faithful church. It's not the church in Orlando that needs the city. It's the city that needs the church. You hear when I say that? That Orlando is in great need of a church that is willing to walk in faithfulness against all odds with great cost to bring the message of the gospel to bear in our lost and broken city. Antioch was much like Orlando. Most people didn't have an understanding of who God was. Most people didn't care about who God was. Most people could care less about the name of Jesus Christ. But yet it was these faithful men and women who brought the gospel in that dark time into that dark city and shined the light of the gospel. Faithfulness. In the words of the church, Tom Brady would be a faithful quarterback, meaning you could count on him to get the job done. In the words of the gospel, in the words of the church, we say that what God needs from his people and his church is a faithful church. Last week we had uh, dinner with some friends and um, uh, we were at Four Rivers Barbecue, uh, incredible barbecue, not open on Sundays, just like Chick-fil-A, by the way. So um, you're not going there after church today. Um, but uh, Camden and Adeline were sitting across from Jonathan, who plays bass here. And Jonathan asked them, uh, my kids, the question, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I hate that question, by the way. Thanks, Jonathan, very much. You know, for my life, I always didn't like that. I'm like, oh, man, like I got one shot. And what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do with my life? I mean, the pressure seems outrageous. My daughter Adeline's just like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. And Jonathan says, a vegetarian? And she says, no, not a vegetarian. I'm going to be a veterinarian. He says, oh, okay. And if you know my daughter, Adeline, she's determined. She's already watching YouTube videos on how to be a veterinarian. And so she's getting this thing down already. And then he looks to my son and he asks Camden, he says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Camden, he's very shy and he kind of puts his face up and he, he gets a little grin and he says, I'm going to play for the Orlando Magic. (laughs) And I start laughing as well. And, um, you know, if you've watched me play basketball, it's not a pretty sight. And so uh, we've got some work to do with my son. And he's played basketball for a total of four months. And he's been faithfully practicing. Uh, In fact, last week he asked mom to put a timer on and for 30 minutes each day, faithfully practicing. And you know what is really cool about watching this is my son is getting better. Each week he comes to practice. The coach gives him some things to work on. We're outside working on him and he's getting better and he's making greater contributions. And one of the things this is teaching my son, although he may not be on the Orlando Magic, or maybe he will if the Orlando Magic, I mean, you never know. Um, Maybe he will be on the Orlando Magic. However, one of the things this is teaching my son is how to faithfully pursue something with passion. And here's what I I think is important for us to look at today through the church of Antioch is that God is calling us to a faithful pursuit. It's not the big moments that define faithfulness. It's the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little moments that define faithfulness. Your marriage is not determined faithful in one year. Your marriage is determined faithful in decades. 
decades. We're talking gray hair decades. We have to get there. Faithfulness is just over time. And look at the marriages that have faithfulness and ask those marriages, how did you do it? Help me get there that we would walk and we would be a people of faithfulness. And the church in Antioch was a new church, and it was a a church that was vibrant and a church that was thriving. And the Holy Spirit was upon that church. But what marked that church is the test of time that proved it faithful. It was the missionary worldwide church that supported Paul and Barnabas' global missions for years to come. Which, ironically, uh, where Antioch is today is about two and a half hours from where we're planting a church in Fethiye, Turkey, uh, with my friend Pastor David and his wife Monica. Just two and a half hours from that place, God has given us the privilege of planting a church. And so we see here in Acts chapter 11, verse um, 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus of Antioch speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So if you do a little fast forward or a little rewind, I'm sorry, of of where we've been at in the books of Acts, you see that there is a persecution that happened with the the, the first martyr of the church, Stephen. Uh, Stephen was a deacon who was appointed to serve the Grecian widows, the Hellenist widows, uh, uh, because they were being neglected at mealtime. And so you had Peter and the apostles and the disciples saying, we cannot do everything. I mean, it's driving us crazy. We have to devote ourselves to the word and prayer. So let us appoint from us seven men of good repute to do this work of making sure that the widows are not neglected and that we can continue to see the gospel advance through the word and prayer. And so Stephen is a man that's appointed and he's given the task of ministry there. But Stephen is also a man who's equipped with the word and he finds himself preaching in the temple courts. And as he's preaching in the temple courts in Acts chapter seven and six, you see this whole thing go down where he was confronted by others and, and he was asked to give a defense for what he was saying. And as he gave a defense, he infuriated the crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees and they stoned him to death. And Stephen in preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel was now the first martyr of the gospel. From that, it started a persecution over these group of people. Uh, Stephen, by the way, his background was that he was a, a, a Hellenistic or a Greek Jew. And so it was those people that were being persecuted and they had to, sh- they had to spread beyond Jerusalem to share the gospel. Take it about seven years, eight years later. This is where we're at today. After that moment, persecution is still happening. The church is still spreading, but the gospel is still advancing. And up to this point, it's been primarily a Jewish religion. Meaning that the Jews were the ones who were converted or uh, being preached to the message of Jesus Christ. But, it says the author of Luke, but there were some who preached to the Hellenists. Some who preached to the Gentiles. And it's those men and those women whom the author of Luke focuses on in saying that they preached the name of Jesus Verse 20, verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. 
The first point of this sermon is that if we are to be a faithful church in the city that God has called us to be, is that we must be a faithful witness, a faithful witness. There's a real comfortability that we face in who we do life with. We want to do life with people who are like us. We want to do life with people who are very similar to our tastes and very similar to our backgrounds and our upbringings. But one of the things that happens when we do that is we forget that there's a powerful message that needs to be advanced and that our life is not all about our comfort zones, but our life is about going beyond our comfort zone to reach those who are far off from Jesus Christ. Now, I can't blame the, the Jews who were, who were persecuted and the gospel uh, as it went forward to kind of have those places of comfortability because they were refugees and they had to find those places to establish their home in a place that was comfortable, in a place that they felt safe and secure. And so amongst the Jews, they felt comfortable. And so it was just a very natural thing for them to share the gospel amongst the Jews. But some had probably begun to hear about what Peter had experienced with the gospel being, being um, brought forth to the Gentiles. This Roman family that God had brought and converted and brought to faith before Peter's eyes. And word got back to Jerusalem that now the gospel is going forward in the Gentiles. And this is good in the Lord's eyes. And so they took that message of hope for the Gentiles to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it established the church. And so... As they did that, they were faithfully bringing forward the message of Jesus Christ in their faithful witness. Acts chapter 1-8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In just a short time, we've seen the gospel go to all of those places in our study in the book of Acts, the gospel moving first into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and now into Antioch, which is the ends of the earth. It was the end of the place where you would least expect the gospel to go. And it was those who were persecuted that were scattered, uh, that went about to those Gentiles. I don't want us to lose this fact, is that... um, Most of us in the room today probably have a non-Jewish heritage. Most of us here uh, have had to come under the teaching of the covenant promises of God through the, the sacrificial system, God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But we're not a direct descendant of Israel. And one of the things that Jewish faith proclaimed is that those who are a direct descendant of Israel were able to receive a greater blessing because they were of the lineage of the promise, the the promise of God giving uh, Abraham the descendants of many nations and that his his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would one day outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. But yet we're outside of that. And one of the things that the gospel did is the gospel abolished those boundary lines between Jew and Gentile. Paul says it here in Ephesians 2, 13, 12 and 13. He says, remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strength 
and, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, who once, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. That we who are far off are now brought near by the blood of Christ. And God, before the foundations of the world, had planned for that, had determined that at the right time, Christ would come and he would abolish the Jew or Gentile divisions and he would break down the wall and break down the barriers and break down the strongholds by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who would make all those who put their trust and hope and believe in him, his sons and daughters that we would be of the line of Jesus. There's a new bloodline. Do you hear that? There's a new bloodline that God has given us. And we, Gentiles of faith, are Christians under the covenant of blood through Jesus Christ. So therefore, there's no more Jew and there's no more Gentile, but only those who are in Christ Jesus. A little bit about Antioch and how this gospel moved forward um, Antioch, uh, says Kent Hughes, was a famous for its worship of Daphne, whose temple stood five miles outside the town in a laurel grove. Apollo's famous pursuit of Daphne was reenacted night and day by the men of the city and by the priestesses, who were in fact ritual prostitutes. Though the world, uh, through the world, the, the morals of Daphne was a euphemism for depravity. This was known as one of the most depraved cities in the entire Roman world. That's a pretty big deal for Rome to have Antioch as one of the most depraved cities in the entire Roman world. Maybe you think like me that Orlando seems just out of reach. That Orlando is a place that is beyond God's hand of redemption. Maybe you know this struggle because in your neighborhood you see it. In the school system, you see it. In your workplace, you see it. You see people who are far from God and you think, you know what, there's no hope for them. So why should I even share the message of Jesus Christ with my lost neighbor or my lost friend or my lost coworker or family member? Because, listen, friends, God pierces through the darkest times and places with the light of his son. And the amazing part about that is the work of the gospel advancing does not depend upon you. It doesn't depend upon you. That God would use you as a vessel of his mercy, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that brings redemption to mankind and allows someone who is walking an entirely different lifestyle to be brought to their knees in confession of Jesus Christ. You have to remember where God's taken you from and the dark place that God has brought you out of. Whether you came to Christ as a child or you came to Christ as a 35, 40-year-old adult, it doesn't matter. God brought you from a dark place outside of his covenant promises because you could not fulfill the covenant. But we're reminded that when we witness the gospel, our proclamation is not what we do to make God love us, but what God has done to make us lovable through his son, Jesus Christ. 
What God has done is he's purified us through the perfect work of Jesus. And so that witness must be proclaimed. And we realize that as we share the message of hope in Jesus Christ, God's going to do the work. And we see that the Lord's hand was on him and that he blessed the church in Antioch, that he added to their number. And that from that place of darkness became the worldwide headquarters for global missions in the early church. So we must be faithful witnesses. Number two, we must be faithful disciples. Faithful disciples. Word spread in Jerusalem and the leaders saw fit to send a man named Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the son of exhortation or the son of encouragement. And so they sent Barnabas into Antioch to see what God was doing in the church, to bring validation to God's work in the Gentile church. The, the Jews in Israel or, or the Jewish Christians in Israel really needed to know, is this a work a genuine work of the Holy Spirit, like we saw in Acts chapter 2, where Pentecost took place and the Holy Spirit broke forth in the, in the streets of Jerusalem and people came to know Christ. Is there a genuine, authentic work of the Holy Spirit that has taken place and they sent Barnabas? Now, if you're going to send somebody to do the work of an evangelist, you're going to send someone that is going to be able to pour gasoline on that fire so it spreads. Barnabas was the perfect guy to do so. He wasn't an apostle. We don't know very much about Barnabas, except we do know that Barnabas was a man of deep affection for God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he walked in faithfulness and truth. And so as they sent Barnabas into Antioch, what Barnabas saw was the evidence of God's grace on that early church. He saw people worshiping. He saw people devouring the scriptures, looking for Christ in the Old Testament. He saw people shaping their lives around the truth of God's word. There was no denying his, the work that he saw. He saw the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of God's grace that made him glad and brought him joy. Now, when Barnabas saw this, I can imagine him calling up Saul. Actually, he pulled him up on FaceTime. He said, hey, hey, Saul, you're not going to believe this, man. There is a work of God that's happening among the Gentiles. And Paul says, no, are you serious amongst the Gentiles? Yes, yes, the, the heathens, man, the pagans. God is at work in these people. Is it, let me see. Look, look at that. That's my time on it there, but... Look, you see that what's happening here, Paul. Paul, you got to get over here. And Paul says, all right, I'm going to be on the next flight. I'll be right there. You know, Barnabas saw this work that was too big for himself. He saw this work of discipleship amongst the church that was too much for himself that he immediately thought about his brother Saul, who no one else would have thought about. You know, this is the man who is the persecutor of Christians. He was the one that wanted to see the Christian faith destroyed, but yet he's the one that, that Barnabas saw an evidence of grace in his life and said, I want to see him Bring to fire the work of God's spirit in Antioch. And so he goes and brings Saul and they spend a year there. And we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, 
When he came and he saw the great grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That was the work of Barnabas and Saul while they were with the brothers and sisters in Antioch. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Remain faithful to God with a full heart. That was the admonishment. That was the exhortation. And they didn't just say it. They spent a whole year with them. And they discipled these believers in the truth of who God is. So the, the second thing that God is calling us to as a church to walk in faithfulness is what we see here in the church of Antioch. God is calling us to faithful discipleship. Faithful discipleship. What is a disciple? Or better yet, who is a disciple? A disciple is a person whose life is submitted to the rule of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a person whose life is submitted to the rule of Jesus Christ. All of my life submitted to all of him. All of my life submitted to all of him. And that's what a disciple is, is someone whose life is focused in one direction. And that one direction is towards Jesus walking in faithfulness that says, my life is under your rule and your reign. It means that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that Jesus is the one who determines my passions, my desires, my feelings. That all of those things come under the word of God. That we no longer belong to ourselves, but we realize that we've been bought with a price. And because we've been bought with a price, we belong to him. And that my life comes under the rule of Jesus Christ in every single way. The gospel is, the, is what determines the way I view politics. The gospel is the way I determine or the way I view sex, sexuality. The gospel is what determines the way I view marriage. All of these things come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And this is discipleship. Discipleship is the application of the word of God in our daily lives. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? They taught the work of Jesus Christ in the daily lives of these early disciples in the church of Antioch, how they submit their life in everything under the rule of Christ. And those things needed to be taught, and they need to be taught today. In fact, the church is in dire need of people who are willing to get into the lives of others and to teach them, to be present with them, to spend time with them, and to tell them about how the good news of Jesus impacts the way we parent. To tell them about how the good news of Jesus impacts the way we live our life as our careers. The way we spend our money. Discipleship is about walking in faithfulness in every venue, in every avenue of life. When I shared with you the story of my kids, I thought to myself that, you know, I, I could be a parent and I could, I could teach my kids to be faithful in those directions of where they want to be for their career but I could walk in unfaithfulness in my discipleship of them if I'm not teaching them what matters most about God and Jesus Christ. We spend a lot of money on our kids for sports. We spend a lot of money on our kids for careers. If you're, you, you've been a child and you know this from even your parents, but how much do we invest in our kids so that they would thrive spiritually and that ultimately they would walk in faithfulness under the rule of King Jesus for the rest of their lives? 
that we would set them up for success there. The same is true of the way we should disciple one another. The greatest investment that you could pour into your friends, your family members, isn't a financial blessing. It's not a blessing of trying to help them with the physical. But if you do those things, do those things realizing that there's a spiritual undercurrent that you want to see made true in their lives as they walk in discipleship together. At Crosspoint, we desire to create an environment to where you can be a disciple that makes disciples. We seek to create an environment where you can walk in discipleship in community with others, but you could also invest in those around you to see their spiritual growth. I pray that you have this opportunity. One of the great joys that I experience each and every week is not just my preparation for a Sunday morning service. It's not just the the administration and the busyness of church life, but it's sitting down face-to-face with another man and investing in their life and seeing them grow in the gospel and the word of God. Every week, that's something that I seek to make a reality in somebody's life in this room to see that discipleship take place. I want to see that in men and women and our children in a greater way to where we, like Antioch, can be a center that sends people to the ends of the earth for God's global plan and purpose. Because people are coming in and pouring out of Orlando all the time, even in this church, that we would take advantage of the time that we have with them and invest them in in such a way that points them to Christ and leads them in discipleship. And then the last point that we see in this church is they have faithful generosity. Faithful generosity. You read that there's a prophecy given where a man named Agabus tells them about a forthcoming famine in the land of Jerusalem. Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. Antioch sent Barnabas back with the fruit of the gospel the generosity of the saints into the church of Jerusalem. You know that as Paul ministers to the church in Corinth and in Macedonia, he's asking for them to be generous and to give sacrificially to the work of God in Jerusalem because of persecution, because of famine. And I can't help but think that this prophecy was related to that foretelling of what would take place in this famine around the world. And they were determined amongst themselves because of what Christ has done, I'm going to give what I am able. Do you hear that? Because of what Christ was done, I'm going to be generous with my ability. However God has made me able, I'm going to be generous. Through their resources, they sent back gifts to Jerusalem in order to advance God's message there. Think about that, how the first missionary church in Antioch sent missionaries back to Jerusalem and said, we want to be a blessing to you. We want to be a blessing to God's further work in your life and in your hearts. This was what God did through the church Tim Keller has this quote about the early church. He says, The early church was strikingly different from culture around it this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. The pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everyone their body. And the Christians, along 
And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. This is why in Antioch they were first entitled Christians, because they were little Christs, disciples of Jesus. There's the epistle to Diognetes in AD 130. This is 130 years after the death of Christ. The historian here is talking about the early church. He says they marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all men. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all things. They are dishonored and yet they, in their very dishonor, are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet justified. They are reviled, but yet they bless. They are insulted, but yet they insult with honor. They do good, yet they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened to life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians to the world. What the soul is to the body, that is what Christians are to the world. Little Christs. Little Christs. That we would be true to the name that God has given us. They considered it a offense the, the, the people of Antioch considered it a disdain to call them Christians. That they would be a, a derogatory term. But the Christians in Antioch took it with honor that they would be revered by a lost and broken world as their Savior, Jesus Christ. They bore that name. They lived out that name. And I think for us, we need to ask the same question. Do we live as if we are Christ to this world? Little Christ proclaiming the hope of Jesus, living as Christ did, sacrificing as Christ did, giving as Christ did, that we would be a faithful witness, that we would be a faithful disciples, that we would be faithful in our generosity to see Orlando redeemed by the power of the gospel for the glory of God. Let's do this together. Let's begin and let's pray that God's spirit would make it so. Father, we thank you. God, we need your help. We need your help. That you would come alive in our hearts. That you would awaken our souls. That God, as the church was then, you would make it so now. That your hand of blessing would be on us stir God in us a fervor and passion that God we would see disciples make disciples we would see churches planted and we would see people baptized and come to know you and God we would be a sending place for people to go live on mission to see their families to see their friends to see their co-workers changed by the glory of God we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name